just watch Sense and Sensibility. Okay, so you won't read it, but you'll watch it? Okay, I didn't want to tell you this because I didn't want to get you excited and then have me not follow through and then I would get in trouble. But it (laughs) did occur to me that if I had trouble understanding Jane Austen and following all the characters, perhaps I should read one where I already know who all the characters are. That's a good idea. So I went in that night and borrowed Carl's Sense of Sensibility. Have you started reading it? No, but it's on my bed. That's the first step. (laughs) Perfect. Welcome to Talk Talk Vote. So, Rachel... We've been doing these podcasts for a little while, and we delve into all sorts of different topics. We mentioned federalism. And the other day, I was thinking, I don't even know what federalism is. So I was wondering, what's up with federalism? What is it? That is a great question. I'm so glad you were ruminating on that. So when the framers were writing the Constitution, one of their main concerns was how best to control government power. They wanted to make a government powerful enough to be functional while not tipping over the edge into tyrannical control. So in order to do that, they did two things. At the national level, the framers divided power between three branches of government, legislative branch, executive branch, and judicial branch, separation of powers. And then from there, the framers further divided power between the national government and the states. And that division of power between the national government and state government is what is known as federalism. So this movement for federalism was really greatly strengthened when in 1786, there was an armed uprising of farmers in Massachusetts. The federal government was unable to raise an army to quell the rebellion because of their extremely limited powers in the Articles of Confederation that they had been functioning under. So in the end, Massachusetts was forced to raise its own army to quell what is known as Shays' Rebellion. The movement for federalism was greatly strengthened when in 1786, there started an armed uprising of farmers in Massachusetts, which is known as Shays' Rebellion. The federal government at that time was unable to raise an army to quell the rebellion, So Massachusetts was forced to raise its own. And federalism was a solution to problems like Shays' Rebellion because the Articles of Confederation didn't really address this type of thing. It gave very little practical authority to the federal government. So, for example, the Articles of Confederation allowed the legislating body, which was called the Continental Congress, it allowed them to declare war, but... It didn't allow them to raise taxes in order to pay for an army. And then any major decision required a unanimous vote in the Continental Congress. And as you can imagine, a unanimous vote is a pretty crippling requirement. Okay, I have so many questions already. What were the farmers mad about? They were mad about a couple of things. A lot of it had to do with uh, the poor economic conditions, which came about as as a result of debts that the United States had accrued during the Revolutionary War, but that because they couldn't raise taxes or raise money in any significant way, they were having a really hard time paying off. 
And so that ended up crushing the economic conditions of the farmers. How many people were in that legislative body that had to had to be unanimous? That's a really good question. The first Continental Congress had 56 delegates. Wow. Have you ever gone out to eat with like four people? Yeah. And tried to decide on the restaurant? Can't even imagine 56 people agreeing. Okay. So they said, oh, let's change this. Yes. So anti-federalists still resisted any increased power of a central government. But in the end, the federalists took the day and the Bill of Rights that we see in our Constitution, those are the first 10 amendments, those served as a compromise to satisfy the anti-federalists who had campaigned against the ratification of what is now our Constitution, because the Constitution gives a lot of powers to the executive. So what we have that sets the guidelines for federalism in the United States is the Tenth Amendment in that Bill of Rights. And that Tenth Amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Some of the anti-federalists were still a little mad about the Bill of Rights because mostly the Bill of Rights gives powers to individuals, not states. And so they were like, you're kind of getting out of this, but that's fine. So the Federalist Papers, was that that a piece of propaganda? Yes. So the Federalist Papers were basically a PR campaign to get the states to ratify the Constitution. And it worked. It worked. And it was written by Madison and whom else? It was written by Madison and John Jay and also a guy you might have heard of, Alexander Hamilton. From the musical. From the musical. The Anti-Federalists were led by Patrick Henry, whose name I recognize, but... Give me liberty or give me death. Isn't that that guy? Yeah. Yes. Huh. So he wanted liberty, Liberty or death. States rights or death. Sam Adams was an anti-federalist from the beer from the beer yeah just a little anecdotal information about how federalism can be good we're not trying to say it's good or bad just kind of an example of how it works so by granting powers to the state federalism permits states to create laws that serve very different diverse communities because you know the people in texas are very different from the people in new hampshire This lets people in the state that they live in and their elected officials write laws that fit their community best. Over time, these different laws sometimes benefit the nation as a whole. A good example is women's suffrage. So women began voting in Western states long before the 19th Amendment was passed to the U.S. Constitution. This experiment of having women vote worked out so well that other states started extending the right to vote to women. And so finally, that helped push societal pressure to the point that the 19th Amendment got passed, banning sex discrimination in voting at a federal level. So it can bubble up from the states, but it can also happen in the opposite direction. By giving the national government power to override states in certain areas, the Constitution allows the federal government to stop states from doing certain things or require states to do certain things. A key example of this is the federal government's response to Jim Crow segregation. So beginning in the late 1800s, many southern states set up systems of laws that discriminated specifically against African-Americans. And in response, the national government eventually, quite a while later, 
passed new laws like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that applied to the entire country. The federalism that we have here in the U.S. was set up so that the states could keep the federal government in check and the national government could do the same for the states. So the anti-federalists were against federalism, obviously. It's in the name. What alternative system did they want? I don't think they wanted an alternative system. They just wanted the uh, central government to be significantly weaker. Like, I don't think they minded that the government couldn't raise taxes or raise an army. Because so they, they wanted like this loosely affiliated organization of much more autonomous states, individual yes. states. Yes. That probably would have then just cooperated with issues of transportation and commerce. Most likely. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Are there places where that kind of system exists around the globe? One example that I have, which isn't exactly, I think, what you're asking for, the European Union is a supranatural federal system where you have European countries that are members of the European Union. They send their delegates and they do, for the most part, you know, deal with issues of commerce, transportation, and they do deal with issues as well. I think they probably deal with migration and climate change, but that is a much weaker system because the individual countries have much stronger powers on their own than the European Union does. Wow. That was so much more interesting than I thought it would be. Thank you, Rachel. You're welcome, Anne. I feel like what I was going to tell you was more interesting. But the one thing I do remember is that, so like, especially early on, and Ulysses S. Grant especially, vetoed like a boatload of bills that were all titled like an act for the relief of John Marcotte, an act for the relief of the widow Jean Pettifor to provide for a pension. Were they Confederate soldiers? Why did their widows? Why did they? Why did he? I don't. Them? I don't know. They like this was all on Wikipedia, and it didn't have like connecting links. And I googled some of the the people that I could find. That didn't give me much information. Like I found a couple of more recent ones. Something from mid century. I want to say it was Nixon. Maybe it was like some judge had maybe like died before serving out like a full term that would have entitled him to like a full pension or something and so mm. this act was to like, like consider give his, his family a full pension anyway yeah which i just found so odd for the united states government yeah to, to be up these things for individuals teeny tiny things yeah huh so maybe he vetoed them just because he was like what are you bothering me with this shit for yeah <laughs> But then it's also like, if, okay, so he vetoed all of these. Did he veto everyone that came up like this? Or was mm -hmm. were these the only ones that he vetoed? You and can find like... that in the congressional record if you knew like when it happened. You know what? I found out that they did poems. I actually yeah. dug through the record to find out what those poems were. So you could maybe find it in the record. I don't know if it goes back quite far enough. Green. Yeah, I wasn't going back that far. The oldest one in the Library of Congress is... The 43rd Congress, which was 1873 to 1875. Oh, so close. I know. Maybe that, you know, maybe in the next year or two, they'll get the, I mean, I'm sure they're going backwards and adding them, right? Yeah. I hope so. 
They should be. It's our tax oh, dollars. That does cover part of his term. I always thought that he was president like right after Lincoln, but I guess I kind of forgot that Lincoln died midterm, not like at the conveniently at the very end right. of his term or something. Right. <laughs> so I forget. And that then I... who followed him? Johnson? Johnson. The guy. And then who... did Johnson get elected on his own or did he just fill in? Like how long was he president? We're so geeky. So he was in office for four years. So I'm guessing no, he so wasn't. He, he wasn't elected because he cause, he was the vice president for like a month and a half. Okay, I didn't realize that Lincoln was was killed that early in Me his either. term. Huh. Still, he sort of almost feels like a full term. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes Grant later than we would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Interesting. So, Rachel, I know we ask our listeners to take five minutes out of their day each episode to do something great for democracy. What are we doing today? Today, we are going to USA.gov. The very first thing you'll see is a little blurb that says making government services easier to find, which is one of our goals here. So it's great to see this. And then you'll see it has shortcuts for like, how do I renew my passport, get government benefits and financial assistance, things like that. And then it also has compiled resources for different life events like transitioning to adulthood, which includes things like financing college, uh, registering to vote. We like that one. Also filing your taxes. Very helpful information there. And then another life event that they have is having children and early childhood. So that includes things like applying for special supplemental nutrition programs or how to get help collecting child support. Honestly, uh, this would have been a great resource for me to have if I'd known about it sooner. And I actually spent a while on there looking at retirement planning resources that they had. But these resources that I've just listed are really just a very brief summary of everything that it has to offer. So go check it out, USA.gov. That is so cool. I did not know that the federal government helped us learn to adult. I didn't either. Wow. If I had not been forced to adult way sooner, I would have been all over this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when the website was started. I'll give myself a pass and pretend that it didn't exist when I was becoming. It probably did. It would have made the transition a lot less painful. <laughs> wow. That's, that's an excellent use of five minutes. Thank you, Rachel. You're very welcome. This episode of Talk Talk Vote was hosted by Ann Calvert and me, Rachel Thompson. Music by Hanging Chad Studios. Talk Talk Vote is a production of ARG Media. Thanks for listening and talk talk to you later.